welcome to Effectively Wild, the almost daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. <laughs> I'm Sam Miller in Long Beach, California. I'm with Ben Lindbergh in New York, New York. Ben, we missed the Monday episode. Yes. Um, I suppose that that limits what we can claim to be. We are no longer a daily podcast. No, I feel bad about that. The, uh, the postseason has led to a lot of extreme recording circumstances and even right now we are recording later or earlier than we ever have it is 3 23 a.m yes where i am at least i'm not wearing pants <laughs> it's so late that even the crickets are asleep it sounds like yeah actually uh um, or dead possibly Possibly. there. I saw some lizards in my backyard today, and lizards eat crickets. And we had Uh-oh. actually kind of been secretly hoping that lizards would come and eat the crickets. So uh, I don't know if that's the case. I have seen crickets in the uh, recent past, but not in the last 20 minutes. So we'll Lizards see. don't really make any sound. We just have to take your word for it that they're there. So that's not mm-hmm. as fun. So the San Francisco Giants are the National League champions. Mm -hmm. The Detroit Tigers are the American League champions, as everybody has known for many days. Um, The Giants beat the Cardinals tonight in Game 7 of a sort of odd series. Um, Not really all that much drama in any individual day, and yet uh, a great deal of drama as the series progressed. Um, And... Um, I, I thought that today we would just talk about some of the players whose uh, postseason performances could perhaps change the popular impression of them and um, just talk about whether we think that the uh, changes are um, deserved or whether these are just um, small, flukish performances that we will have forgotten about by spring training. How does that sound? Sounds good. So... Um, uh, so I don't really know how to progress, so I'll just start saying words, okay. and then you'll say some words. So Kyle Loesch, um, uh, John Heyman wrote a piece about his free agency prospects, um, I believe just before his uh, first start in this series. And it seemed to me that John Heyman was kind of pushing for Loesch to get a C.J. Wilson-type deal, which would be something like, five years 75 million and the front office executives thought that that was maybe a long shot um Loesch went on to have a, really two pretty bad starts um game seven was an, an unmitigated disaster um Loesch had to be pulled quite early and replaced with the bullpen um and uh put the the cardinals in a pretty deep hole and game i believe it was three Yes, it was. Game three, uh, Loesch only allowed one run, but um, he gave up a a ton of base runners, and and it was really sort of a fluke of sequencing that he survived that start and got the win. Walked five, struck out two. Walked five, struck out two, seven hits, Mm -hmm. and only one run. So, um, Kyle Loesch, um, what kind of free agency is he? Uh, what kind of free agent, I should say, is he? Well, this is where we're supposed to make a a John Heyman-Scott Boris joke, right? Um, I guess, I don't know, I've been kind of uh, mocking the idea, I guess, for a while that Kyle Loesch is now uh, a top-of-the-rotation starter and talking about how Scott Boris is probably working on a big 
binder to send to every team to tell that team that he's worthy of an enormous contract this this winter. Um, he still kind of looked more or less like Kyle Loesch to me. Uh, but lately, I guess before this series at least, I was questioning um, my assumption and wondering whether this was a new Kyle Loesch. And uh, Kyle Loesch has said things about how he's pitching differently now and he's uh, pitching in different locations and he's getting ahead of hitters and he's learned things since he joined the Cardinals and he's a sinker baller now and he gets grounders. And I was kind of wondering whether I had been too quick to dismiss his recent success um, and whether there was something more sustainable about his ace-like season um, and then the World Series happened, and he had two, as you said, pretty terrible starts. So I don't know that two starts should really influence my thinking either way, um, but I think it kind of has anyway, maybe. Um, I was kind of looking for a reason to uh, think this was just Kyle Loesch about to turn into a pumpkin, and he kind of did that on a big stage and I wonder whether that will affect his contract at all because it, it did seem like he was kind of set up to be one of those guys who gets a, a bigger contract than he should maybe um, and gets paid more for his recent performance than his entire career which is basically a, a league average pitcher or a little worse. Um, so I, I guess I would kind of lean towards the side of saying he is still that yeah, I um, I thought that Loesch kind of reminded me of um, Joel Pinheiro when he yeah. was coming up against free agency, um, and sort of a lo- uh, not quite the same pitcher, but um, some similarities in some of their peripherals. Um, but of course, um, Pinheiro was um, well. I just wonder, Loesch um, had his big breakout not under Dave Duncan. Mm-hmm. And in a weird way, Dave Duncan was sort of like Petco for pitchers where you didn't quite know if you wanted that guy away from Dave Duncan. Yes. And um, I wonder if we would be talking about Loesch any differently uh, if he were, um, if he had made his big advance under Duncan, uh, but, but he didn't. Um, I, I'm not a big believer though. I, uh, if if Heyman was suggesting seventy five million and and I'm suggesting something like Pinero's um, seventeen million, I think a uh, Ted Lilly type deal in the middle probably makes sense it, to everybody else. It kind of worked for Pinero for a while, right? There was the whole question of whether he would be able to sustain that new approach once he left St. Louis, and then he went to the Angels, and he basically did for one year, right? I mean, he was basically... Yeah, well, he, he kind of did. It was almost like, um, I mean, I'm going to exaggerate a little bit, but it was almost like every single start, he got less of the pitcher <laughs> that he was. And so, um, like, by the time he ended that two-year contract with the Angels, he wasn't even really a ground ball pitcher anymore. He was just sort of like, he was like Jeff Supon, you know, he had just completely reverted to league <laughs> average. Um, and there was really nothing notable about him. Um, and it wasn't... But yeah, I mean, he, he, he didn't, he didn't completely collapse, but I mean, his ground ball rate dropped quite a bit from um, his last year with the Cardinals to his first year with the Angels. And then it, it dropped significantly in the second year. And, um, 
by the by by the second year, I think his ground ball rate in his second year away from Duncan was actually lower than the Cardinals team ground ball rate. Uh-huh. And I guess it wasn't entirely the ground ball rate. It was his last year in St. Louis. He had a crazy walk rate. He he did. Yeah. He yeah. One point one per nine. Yes. Which was, he led the league. He walked 27 batters in 214 innings, um, which probably isn't the sort of thing that was going to keep happening anyway. Well, and that's probably more than anything what made me think of him when I looked at Loge because Loge, I think, had the fourth lowest or something like that walk rate. Um, this year, he walked 1.6 per nine, and that's never really been a hallmark of him. Uh, he has a he, he that's that's a walk per nine lower than his career rate, um, and that's pretty much the only thing that changed in his performance. I mean, that and sequencing. If you look at his numbers with runners on base, they're absurd. And so you're looking at two things that have changed. One is almost uh, universally acknowledged to be uh, luck-based, unless it's over a massive sample size. And the other is the walks. And um, I would I would say that probably the walks are the low end of what he's capable of, and I, I wouldn't really expect him to. I, I would rather have Ted Lilly than... Um, than Loesch, mm-hmm. uh, at least Ted Lilly at yes. the point when he signed his contract. Me too. And, and that deal, that three, I think it was three and 33, wasn't like universally celebrated or anything like that. I, I, I remember people were sort of like, yeah, about him. And so uh, I imagine that if Loesch signs anything more than three and 33, I will kind of be like, eh. Well, I would love to see the package or the proposal that Scott Boris puts together. Kyle Loesch this winter. Binders full of Kyle Loesch. <laughs> yes, right. Uh, just to get that joke out of the way. Mm-hmm. So we spent 10 minutes on Kyle Loesch. <laughs> right, good for us. We can spend uh, less time on everyone else now. So Pete Cosma. Mm-hmm. Um, Pete Cosma had the huge AL, uh, NLDS, and then he had a rather small NLCS. Um, if you put them together, it is something like a useful major leaguer not not particularly good very low slugging percentage good on base percentage um but if you look at cosma's triple a stats before this it is nowhere near a major league player uh he had a roughly a 300 slugging percentage uh, in triple a over the course of multiple years on the other hand former first round pick just five years ago he was taken 18th overall do you think pete cosma has a future in this league uh yeah, I think so, but probably not any kind of uh, high-profile future. I mean, maybe this was probably the most headlines that Pete Cosma is ever going to get. He just got, I would think, he could kind of stick around as maybe a utility-ish guy or a, a guy who fills in in a starting role over short stretches or something. Um or I don't know, maybe at his peak he manages to be a second division starter type. Um, but I guess I probably wouldn't expect more than that, probably. Uh, you're probably more optimistic than I am. Mm-hmm. I would be. Uh, I would be surprised, probably, if he starts a hundred more games in the majors. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe not. He's 24, so right. probably. I mean, uh, Angel Baroa started hundreds of <laughs> yes, games. Yes, right. I um, he hangs around and catches on here and there, but uh, but nothing 
I mean, no great future. This is it, though. This is, we're in agreement that this is Pete Cosmas. This was Pete Cosmas month. Yes. Okay. Um, Marco Scudero. Um, uh, besides hitting 500 <laughs> this series and winning the MVP award for the series, of course, he had a pretty spectacular three-month run mm-hmm. with the Giants. Um, and in something like half a season, he's hitting something like i don't know 380 as a giant so if you can just imagine that like imagine we shift the last three months to the first three months of this year and marco scudero is hitting 380 at the all-star break um how would you evaluate him uh i really like marco scudero and i liked the trade at the time of course not expecting that he would make an impact like he made um I, I've wondered in various roundtables and tweets uh, what kind of contract he will get as a free agent. I think it's an interesting case. Um, I mean, it, all the years and all the money yes, from the Giants. Right. I think you think so. You think it's going to be a real Brian Sabian veteran special? I don't know. I think that probably that. Uh, well, I, I'm of two minds about Sabian. I think that he got unfairly uh, criticized for the Aubrey Huff deal. I think people, um, after he signed Huff uh, after the World Series, I think people tr- acted as though he had signed Huff at you know at the peak of Huff's value for um, you know an unreasonable rate. But what he had really done is signed Huff, uh, hoping that he could reproduce about a third of the value he had produced in 2010. I don't think that was unreasonable. Huff simply collapsed. On the other hand, though, you have the Randy Wynn precedent, which is. Uh, trade uh, like I think he traded Jorvit Torrealba or something like that. Uh, I forget who he was. Some catcher for Randy Wynn. Randy Wynn went completely bananas for two and a half months and uh, Sabian signed him for a multi-year extension. Mm-hmm. That was not nearly so good and that is probably pretty comparable mm-hmm. to uh, what Scudero is. In fact, just for fun, I actually um, – I w- did, do you know about the uh, the Voros um, law? Do you know about this? Have you seen oh, the reference? Oh, just like this? anything can happen over a small sample. Yeah, yeah. his yeah, his, and and he set the sample at like something like seventy five plate appearances. Mm-hmm. And I um I think uh, uh, Rainey has a similar one, which was uh, anything can happen over two hundred. I, unaware of these laws, also coined the Randy. <laughs> threshold which is that any major leaguer can do anything over 300 sample uh 300 plate appearances and that's because randy Wynn in 2005 hit 359 391 680 in <laughs> in about 300 plate appearances slugged 680 in pack bell park uh, <laughs> uh and so sabian signed him for a lifetime contract <laughs> yeah uh and i uh, so I could see him doing that with Scudero. Anyway, I forget where we were going with all this. I, don't know. I think, I mean, Marco Scudero was a starting shortstop last season. Um, mm-hmm. I, I kind of wonder whether there's a team out there that still sees him as a shortstop or someone who could possibly be a stopgap shortstop. And if so, uh, whether they would be willing to pay him accordingly. Um, he didn't, I don't think he played a single game at shortstop for the Giants. Uh, so if the Giants see him as a, a second baseman and some other team 
somehow still sees him as a shortstop and wants to pay him like one, maybe they could swoop in and get him. Um, but I agree that when a trade works out as well as this trade has worked out and the guy becomes a playoff hero and the team goes deep into the playoffs and possibly goes all the way through the playoffs, uh, I guess I would be surprised if the Giants didn't offer him as much money as, as anyone else offered him. And, and I mean, I guess you probably wouldn't have expected Marco Scudero to get a multi-year deal before that trade. Um, now I, you definitely do, I would think. Uh, so I guess the question is how many years? And since he's 36, I would guess he could probably just expect a, a two-year deal. And do you have any idea what kind of annual value he could get right now? Well, let me ramble for a little bit okay. first. Um, he, st- he actually did start 25 games for the Rockies yes. at shortstop mm-hmm. this year. Um, and he didn't start any for the Giants at shortstop, but I think that's probably more about what their needs were. I mean, this mm-hmm. is a team that started Mike Fontenot at shortstop yes. last year and traded for Orlando Cabrera. Right. Came over when Sandoval was hurt th- and had to fill in there. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't. Yeah, I'm not sure whether Keppinger played short. He probably didn't. But, I mean, this is a team that has pretty low demands. It just so happened that they had um, a shortstop they were comfortable with this year, and they didn't have a second baseman. So, um, uh, Scudero... Um, had hit 362 for the Giants, uh, all that stuff. Uh, he had a 99 OPS plus this year um, because he was so bad with the Rockies. Do you um, think that his second half is significantly more uh, significant, significantly more significant, significantly more predictive than his full season stats? Um, I mean, I certainly don't think he's better than he was in the couple seasons before this season but he was so he, he was he was a, I mean, in the three years before this season he had a 102 ops plus this year he had a 99 ops plus so it was essentially season across the season he was no different mm-hmm. than marcus scudero always is and if you include his postseason performance in fact i bet you it is almost identical so do you think that marcus scudero is an unchanged property uh yes i do but i don't know that he'll be paid like one but I, okay, mean, let me I think you. he was a good player um, before this season. I mean, as a, oh, yeah. as a guy who could play a, a premium defensive position at least adequately and hit better than a, a shortstop, I mean, he's uh, he was pretty valuable. Yeah, no, I, d- I mean, I dig him the most. He's, he's fun. He's yeah. great. I'm just wondering whether we need to adjust uh, our expectations. One more question about him, uh, which is that he... Um, he's 36, as you noted. Does it make any difference to you that he was essentially a non-entity until he was in his 30s? Does does does, does it shift your ideas about the aging curve when a player blooms so late? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, I guess so. And I, I wonder. I mean, we always talk about second basemen not aging well uh, because they're always, they're kind of in between positions and they don't really have the skills that allow you to play one position and and they just kind of end up at second because they can't play anywhere else. He is kind of a second baseman by circumstance more so than skill, I guess. So I don't know that I would ding him as much for that. And yeah, I guess when it comes to a late bloomer, I might expect them to 
age a little better than the typical guy his age but um, okay. I don't expect him to be ageless or anything so 2 and 16 seem fair to you or do you think it'll yeah. be more like the 2 and 12 that he signed with the Red Sox uh, I think he will get some sort of second half and postseason bonus uh, and that 2 and 16 could be realistic yeah I think okay. 2 and 12 maybe would be better because I well then again I mean he was very good for the Red Sox he was probably worth more than they signed him for so sure yeah that was a I thought that was a pretty good signing mm-hmm. at the time um, all right we are uh, typically at the point where we would be out of time but I, I promised people that we would go a little longer because we we abandoned them yes on Monday so let's do one more okay um, Madison Bumgarner uh, this series lost his spot in the rotation to Barry Zito. Um, Bumgarner, I would have thought a month ago would have been um, probably in my top five Cy Young predictions mm-hmm. for 2013. Um, I wrote um, after his terrible start, I think. No. Uh, after Wainwright's good start in uh, the NLCS recap about how favorably he compares to Adam Wainwright's best two seasons, and yet there's something not quite there about him. And um, the thing that is not quite there really came to a head as he sort of lost it in um, toward the end of the season and then in the postseason. This is not the first time this has happened. Bumgarner was a, a premium prospect who uh, lost it uh, completely toward the end of 2009 and the beginning of 2010 and seemed to have almost lost his prospect status uh, at the time and then just as quickly found it again and ended up being a postseason hero for the Giants in 2010 as a 21-year-old or rather as a 20-year-old. Um, do you think that there's any reason to worry about Bumgarner's uh, both long-term future and sort of more near-term future in 2013 based on what you've seen in the last month? Or do you think this is simply late-season, dead-arm kind of tiredness? Um, well, the last time that he had problems and almost lost his prospect status, as you said, was a big velocity loss, right? It was, yeah. So, and he hasn't... I mean, he never, I guess, really recovered that velocity, or at least, uh, I mean, he's not a guy who throws in the mid-90s or anything. He's a low-90s guy, um, but he's succeeded anyway. And he hasn't really, I mean, that hasn't happened this time, right? It hasn't really been a, a further loss there's been some, yeah, bit. in the last in the last month for sure. It's not, it's not dramatic. It's not five miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, I can look it up as, as you talk. Yeah, I actually but... am. So he's he's averaged 90.7 on his fastball in October. And for the full season, he was at 91.7. So he lost a little. Yeah, a little. Yeah. But but not not um, not a, a paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whatever. Um, no. Uh, I don't know. I guess... I mean, most guys, it could be a, a dead arm period. Certainly some guys, or most guys, tend to gain velocity as the season goes on. I don't know that that continues into the postseason. 
Um, I mean, what do you think was the main thing responsible for his struggles? Well, I'm um, I'm not a pitching coach. Um, I thought that in um, the National League Division Series, it looked pretty uh, apparent that he really hadn't um, lost his mechanics, that he'd lost his release point. Um, you could sort of tell that the Giants were worried about his release point. You could see Posey was really kind of counseling him from behind the plate. And, um, and uh, I don't know whether that is the sort of thing that um, is always going to be um, a threat for him because he has a little bit of funk to his pitching mechanics or if it was um, a cascade from maybe his fatigue or if it was just a thing that happened one time. Um, but, uh, I mean, everything was less crisp. Uh, the, 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 the lost mile per hour certainly affects his fastball. The slider, he was really having trouble locating. Um, I did, um, I looked at his pitch charts from his last good start, which was in August, and his last start in this season, uh, in the postseason, which was game one of the NLDS, uh, NLCS, I'm sorry, and he essentially has lost the ability to pitch inside. He, he doesn't, he doesn't, he can't go inside. The target is inside, and he's leaving everything kind of unfinished, and uh, all the pitches are kind of leaking out either uh, away and outside of the strike zone away when he's lucky or right over the heart of the plate when he's not lucky. So it's hard to know exactly what that is. But, um, I mean, the problems, he didn't have, like like Vogelsong had a, a, a giant ERA in the last month of the season. Mm-hmm. Bumgarner did not, but you could see the problem was almost more troubling because Bumgarner is a guy who... Well, it was uh, five and a half. Was it? Yeah, okay, so... October, September. Or, yeah, September. September. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, yeah, so it was bad. Never mind. But um, his... Um, I mean, Bumgarner's a guy who strikes out five guys for every walk. And in the last uh, seven starts of the season, he struck out uh, about one and a half per walk. And so that's a huge change. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, you're talking about, from a peripheral standpoint, you're talking about his worst start of the season repeated seven times basically on average so there were a lot of problems it's this is not a postseason thing um so i don't know it's hard to say i rambled a bit i like i said i'm not a pitching coach it's hard for me to say exactly what it is and um i mean i would say that from my personal standpoint i am extremely worried about bumgarner right now um i was talking to a friend about who should start game one and he thinks that bumgarner should i think that probably Linscombe should, although I'm not really comfortable with any of them. But I think that probably nobody right now worries me more in the short term than Bumgarner. And um, I do sort of feel like my, my my impression is that he is uh, he is broken in a way that um, maybe isn't easily fixed right now. I'm, I'm not so worried about him long term, and, and I would still think that he is a, uh, you know, he's an, an ace level pitcher going forward i was just gonna use that word uh i was gonna say i mean it makes me think of what jason parks says about aces that there just aren't many of them um and that it really i mean people ask him if he thinks that so and so is an ace and he'll say 
we need to see it a little longer, um, that there are really only a handful of guys who he would consider an ace or that maybe even the industry would consider an ace. Um, I mean, I don't know how helpful it is to to argue about the term ace because it, it means different things to different people, I guess. Um, but the way he uses it is really the the ultra elite types like a Verlander or uh, I don't know a, a Halliday or something um, mm-hmm. just guys who have done it year after year after year and I don't think he would put someone like Bumgarner in there even after a couple really good seasons mm-hmm. uh, so yeah I, I guess that kind of speaks to that um, but I, I don't know I wouldn't be so pessimistic about him going forward, I guess, at least next season, maybe in the short term, if his mechanics are screwed up, they will stay screwed up. I don't know. Let's, uh, real quick, we'll do one more, but kind of uh, not in as much detail. Uh, Ryan Vogelsong um, sort of kind of blew his season stats quite a bit in the last uh, month. Uh, Very good postseason. He had a 129 ERA plus last year. He had a 103 ERA plus this year, and as we talked about earlier, 103. That is exactly uh, what Bumgarner had. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Well, what do you know? 103 is also the uh, the over under that we set for postseason level pitchers. <laughs> right. I think actually 102.5 was. So I'm just curious. Do you think that Vogel song next year um, is closer to a 129 or closer to a 120? Oh, sorry, a 103. Um. I guess I'd say closer to the 129, I guess. I don't know. I was persuaded by your recap of his last start that said that it's time to stop talking about how he was bad for a while and talk about how good he's been lately and that he actually is that good. Um, All right. So, yeah, I'll buy it. I'm with it. All right. We'll be back tomorrow to preview the World Series. Um, Lance Berkman has already done the heavy lifting by predicting Tigers in five. Uh <laughs> We may have something to add to that. I can't promise, but we'll try our best. My prediction will probably be similar. All right. All right.